Today, the scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. You can find it on page 984 in your Black Pew Bible. Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, if you're new, or if you're just joining us, or if you're not, and you uh, are aware, we've been going through the book of Colossians for some time now, and we're rounding the corner on that book, and we're going to finish the book of Colossians in the next three weeks. Uh, this section of Colossians talks about, and we've been in it for a few weeks already, what's called the, the household codes in the ancient world. And what that means is that these are instructions about household relationships, the most kind of intimate relationships that we have and the relationships that we have the most frequent contact with in our households under the same roof. So if Paul gave broad overarching directions and instructions earlier in the book of Colossians that still apply to this, now he's narrowing in on specific areas within the family dynamics. You see, all, all, all the other exhortations that we've seen in Colossians apply across the board with everyone that we meet and interact with in the household of, in the household of faith. But here, here he's kind of narrowing in the scope onto the relationships that exist consistently within our homes. Wives and husbands, children and parents, and now slaves and masters, bond servants, were a part of the household in the ancient world. And in each of these relationships, Paul subverts and transforms the normal expected household conventions. In the Roman household, there was no cultural emphasis that husbands should love their wives first and foremost. And with children in the Roman household, they wouldn't have been spoken to directly the way that the apostle writes directly to children. And in the Roman household, slaves and masters would not be instructed to treat each other the way that Paul is instructing right here, as equals, as people made in God's image. Listen to this quote from one of the commentaries that I read. The gospel, in which there is no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female, recognizes each individual as a full person and is concerned to protect each person's rights, not to enforce his or her subordination. Wives are to be treated with love. Children are, are to be treated with understanding. And slaves as human beings deserving of justice in a time when slaves were not legally regarded as human. These commands also address wives, children, and slaves as responsible moral beings full members of the body of Christ. The commands acknowledge that the authority of the husband, parent, and master 
But those with power must exercise authority with love and sensitivity and justice and must be willing to take on the role of a servant just as Christ did, end quote. In Philemon, Paul instructs Philemon to receive his bondservant as more than a servant, as a beloved brother in the Lord, both in the flesh and in the spirit. The controversy with words like these may have provoked in the ancient world different things than we usually interact with today. Because in our modern era, era we're more concerned with different controversies than the ones that, uh, that would have been, would have been uh, provoked by what Paul's saying here. His readers would have been surprised by his emphasis on sacrificial love with regard to wives. And we're surprised by the biblical view of submission and authority in the household. But this section of Colossians is subverting convention by the power of the gospel. The gospel sinks in and spreads like leaven and changes everything. And now the apostle turns to give us a deeper understanding and clear instructions, not only about how masters and slaves are to interact with a a view of how Jesus changes those relationships, but also why they should relate this way. So this morning, I want to ask and answer three questions. I want to ask What is the relational dynamic that Paul instructs for both slaves and masters? What is he saying? I want to talk about how this dynamic is to be lived out. And then I'm going to talk about why should slaves and masters treat each other this way. But before I do that, I want to pray one more time. So would you all join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, would you you help us this morning? Would you open our hearts Would you direct us? Would you guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would what we do here honor you? Would it magnify Jesus? Would it magnify Christ in our hearts? Would you move this morning? Would you take your word and apply it to places in our lives that we are stubborn or resistant or arrogant or prideful? Would you take your word and apply it to places in our lives where we're weak, where we're wobbling, where we need to be strengthened? Would you meet people in this room where they are? Would you not let us leave without without being changed more into the likeness of Jesus? I ask in his name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what, what is the dynamic that Paul is exhorting for the bond servants in this text and for the masters. He gives instructions kind of at both ends of this authority structure, much like he gave commands both to, to children as well as parents, and he gave commands to wives as well as husbands. He now gives commands to slaves as well as masters. And he does this because the gospel reorients and rearranges all of our relationships. All of them. In the king's kingdom, all the relationships are different. And today, we see that the apostles are explaining to bondservants in the home and masters of those bondservants that the way they treat each other should be different from the culture 
and different from expectations and conventions that surround them. So let's take a few minutes to acknowledge explicitly what Paul says must be happening. Paul gives clear and unqualified directions to slaves. Verse 22 says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And later in verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily. So we have obedience and diligence. Obedience and a work ethic being clearly commanded. The scriptures are direct and clear, and they're always good for us. What we've seen throughout these verses is that God expects us to operate as Christians within the natural authority structures that he has placed us in. Our obedience is a good thing. When we're submitting to the authority in our lives in the Lord, that's good for us. The Lord's pleased by that. Obedience to earthly authority can be difficult, and in fact, it will be difficult. It'll be an authority that's always broken, that's always sinful, that's always guilty of wrongdoing, and very, very far from being perfect. And yet, the expectation is still obedience. As F.F. Bruce says, the household codes of Paul did not set out to abolish or reshape existing social structures, but to Christianize them. Christian subversion begins with applying the truth of the gospel to the very next relationship in front of you when you wake up in the morning. We live in a world where if we want to make a difference, we think that the first thing we need to do is to splatter the internet with all of our opinions. But what's truly subversive is meekness. What's truly remarkable is humility. What's world-changing is courageous, diligent faith. Paul expounds on the attitude and the understanding that bondservants should adopt in 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24, which says, only let each person lead a life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. And likewise, he who is, a, who is free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So there's this deeper understanding of what you're doing when you obey. Whether you're a free man or a slave, if you're a Christian, you're a slave to Christ. That's a fact. You don't, you don't have a choice in that matter. Now, you can, we can pretend like we... Um, like we're not slaves of Christ or push against that or resist that, but we can't change that reality. So what should we do from these verses is obey the authority in your life. That's the first thing. And second thing is work with all your heart. 
work heartily, this text says. And we ask ourselves, as a, as a slave, as the lowest person on the totem pole in society, and this text says, in every station, work this way. Whether you find yourself a tradesman or a homemaker or a doctor or a bondservant, the answer from the apostle is, yeah, work heartily. Up until, up until now, we've seen a number of commands from the apostle, and we want our disposition as believers to be a disposition that bends with the commandments of the scriptures, doesn't, that doesn't bristle against them. We want obedient hearts, not merely obedient bodies. But if you find yourself in a place where your heart is still catching up, we still should have a disposition to obey. The answer to a heart that's resistant to obey the Lord is never to disobey in the name of being authentic. We're tempted to give up because we don't feel real or our hearts aren't in it. And that might be true, but disobedience to God isn't the answer. The answer is to beat our bodies and make them our slaves and dedicate our members to obedience and repent and ask God to help our hearts catch up with our bodies. The answer, is to, the answer to inauthenticity is never to give up and quit trying. It's to give in to the Spirit of God and beat our chest and say with the tax collector, have mercy on me, a sinner. For, for bond servants, Paul commands obedience and he commands diligence. But for masters, he commands justice and he commands fairness. Remember, I'm still only answering the what question at this, at this point in the sermon. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. So what's the nature of the relationship that the Christian bondservants and masters should have? The bondservants must be obedient and diligent, but the masters must be fair. And that's an instruction today for anyone who's in authority over anyone. If this applies to bond servants, it also applies for employees and children in your care. Justice is often represented in the Old Testament as using honest and fair measurements, fair scales. And anyone in the room today who's in a position of authority over any other person, the God of the universe is keeping tabs on the scales of justice, always. So let me ask, when you're parenting your children, do you have a biblical sense of proportion? Are you heavy-handed or severe with your children? Because that would be one possible injustice, but... And this can be even worse. Justice also means that you do something when transgressions occur. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So, so being harsh and cruel is not just. But also letting sin and disobedience run roughshod over the people that you love most isn't just either. Being just and fair isn't only not being brutal. It's doing what's righteous. And God defines what that is. God's word gives us the tools to be just. And everyone can be unfair and unjust by abdication, 
as much as by provocation. That's the, the what. And now I want to ask and answer the how. how. How is this to be lived out? How are these difficult commands supposed to look for these people? Let me start here. We don't, we don't stop being a son or a daughter when we believe the gospel. But you become a different kind of son or a different kind of daughter. You don't stop being a dad or stop being a mom when you believe the gospel. But the way you are a dad or the way that you are a mom is completely transformed by the gospel. With regard to salvation, there's nothing that places anyone in any seats of preference or partiality. Nothing about, about you makes you more or less a candidate for the grace of God. His salvation, is, and his, his salvation and his election are by free and sovereign grace. And once you've been regenerated, once you've been given a new heart, your, your, your stance, your, your posture your way of being a son or a daughter or a husband or a friend or a roommate is changed, is transformed. The way you live out those identities in your life is transformed. And here we see that this is also the case for bond servants and masters. We're to work in the station that God has given us with sincerity and glad hope for our reward. First, work with sincerity. Don't just give eye service, the apostle says. And since we don't have any bond servants in the room, we're going to apply these verses to other relationships in our lives that are oriented around authority because the point is consistent across many relationships in your life. When you're seeking to live these verses out, how do you do it? So men in the room, do you love your wives sincerely? Or do you act one way when she's watching and a different way when she isn't watching so that you can get what you want, like watching the game or going on a trip with your buddies? Wives in the room. Do you act a certain way when your family is watching and a different way when they're not watching? employees and bosses in the room, do you, do you guys act a certain way when you know eyes are on you in a different way when you know that no one's going to know? Do you obey God with hollow insincerity, just going through the motions? Do you roll your eyes at the thought of serving others? If we find ourselves working one way when we're being watched and another way when we're not being watched, the word of the Lord for us today is to repent from duplicity. Work the same whether you're being watched or not. And this is massive. Paul doesn't leave you to figure out how to do that on your own. He tells you how. He says the way that you can do this is by remembering that even when you think nobody's looking, God is still watching. He says, work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That's the Lord who's watching. God's watching. Sincerity, biblical sincerity comes from not being willing to lie to yourself or to others because you know that God's not only watching what you're doing, but he can see all the way into your motives. Proverbs 15.3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Sincerity, biblical sincerity 
comes from living your life before the eyes of God. Sincerity isn't trying to make everybody happy. It isn't appeasing your boss and it isn't faking it or just going through the motions. It's living your life in front of God's face with reverence and fear. And I'm burdened to remind you in this moment that that reality will cost us something. But God knows that. And that's why he says, don't worry about what it will cost you. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be concerned about what you'll lose because of what you'll gain. What you'll gain will blow what you lose out of the water. What, what profit is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The answer is it's not. It's not a profit. The profit comes when losing everything, you keep your integrity and sincerity before God and your reverence and fear and sincere life before his eyes and his eyes alone. Your inheritance is your reward. And Paul's saying this to slaves in the ancient world to get zero legal inheritance. For us, an inheritance might not mean a whole lot in the modern Western wealthy world. Your parents might not be leaving you anything. So hearing this wouldn't really matter. It wasn't that case in Paul's day. For Paul to say, you don't understand, you're serving Jesus and the reward that's coming is the inheritance that you get from being the son of a king. But this morning... This isn't just for bond servants, it's for you. And I don't know. I don't know what you're facing in your life. I don't know what challenges are in your home. I don't know what you're facing in your workplace. But I know that if you set your heart, if you, if you square up to face the challenges in your life with sincerity and diligence, courageously, before the eyes of the living God, to honor him and him alone, seeking to please him, you can't lose because even when you lose, you don't lose. There's, there's this unbelievable wealth of an inheritance and God sees your heart. He knows the cost and it'll be worth it. Eye service is people pleasing and people pleasing functions by usurping the authority of God in your life and giving it to the crowd around you. That's how it works. And the crazy thing that you might not realize is that it's your only other option if you don't fear God. If you don't live in front of the face of God with reverence and fear for him, you'll be powerless to face peer pressure or social pressure or worldly pressures to be someone or to look a certain way. If you don't live in reverence and fear before the living God, then you'll live in reverence and fear of something and someone if you're honest, you might be afraid of what your friends will say or what your friends think of you. You might be afraid of what your wife will say or what she thinks of you. You might be afraid of what your boss thinks or what your Instagram followers will say about you. I don't know what it is, but you do. You know whose approval you're afraid to lose. So the solution to insincerity is outside of you. It's for you to rightly set your life, your whole life, consciously in front of the gaze of the Holy One and walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 1.10. All right. What is to be lived out? What is to be lived out is obedience and hard work from the heart, 
justice and fairness is what is to be lived out. And how are those things to be done? By mo- not by motivation to please other people, but by motivation rooted in sincerity of heart and reverence and fear of the living God. And now number three, why? Why are these things to be lived out this way? Why should bondservants and masters treat each other this way and what can we learn from that? And the answer is from verses 323, 324, and 4.1. These verses say, work as for the Lord and not for men. Work because you're serving the Lord Christ. And do justice and be fair because you have a master and your master is the Lord Christ. What could possibly motivate individuals to embrace these kinds of humiliating exhortations? What could compel somebody to accept what the apostles are saying, especially in this relationship? What is the why behind the challenging and humbling instruction of these verses? And what I want to shout is that the only answer... The only one that's robust enough and sturdy enough and stout enough and durable enough is that Christian motivation, when distilled to its essence, is reverence for Jesus. Your relationship with the Lordship of Christ is the only relationship in your life that can possess the kind of gravity that can arrange and hold all your other relationships in order. Your vertical relationship with the living God, the Christian relationship of believers to God himself, makes them able even to endure unbelievable hardship and torture historically in the church. But that's the only way. Again, again, F.F. Bruce says this in his commentary. Quote, but Christian slaves or Christian employees today have the highest of all motives for faithful and conscientious performance of duty. They are above all else servants of Christ and will work first and foremost so as to please him, not fear of any earthly master, but reverence for their heavenly Lord should be the primary motive with them. End quote. You see, fear, fear of man can motivate you. Fear can motivate people. Fear of punishment, fear of being fired can motivate someone to work really hard. But Christians are called to be motivated by reverence for Christ instead of any earthly masters, any earthly authority. Work for Jesus and not for your boss. Not so that you can earn a relationship with Jesus, but because he's already offered you one. He's already made one possible for you. Work to please Christ. And I mean that ultimately, foundationally, fundamentally, in a way that orients you, in a way that navigates you. What eye service and people pleasing reveal in our hearts, what they show us, is that we have an issue with God and not our boss. Our bad attitudes toward authority in general reveal our bad attitudes toward God himself. Do you find yourself constantly complaining about the authority in your life? 
God's not looking down on our plight with tied hands, just proud of us that we've lasted as long as we have. God put us under the authority that's in our lives. And as long as we are there, we should serve that authority like we're serving the Lord Christ. Imagine with me two pictures. In one picture, a man goes to work every day whistling because he has an honorable and righteous authority in his life. His boss is kind and gracious. He rewards this guy with generous encouragement and comments of appreciation often. He's generous with the compensation package. He pays really well. This great boss is quick to give compliments. He's fair, he's just, and he demonstrates good character. And for this guy, it's a dream to work for this man, and it's easy to work hard underneath his loving leadership. And now imagine a second man who works for a very different kind of boss. This boss is hard. This boss is harsh. He's got a temper. He's hot with anger. He demands more than anybody could accomplish, and he's slow, if ever, to give appreciation. He's incompetent. And worse, he doesn't even know how to value hard work. He pays very little and is a constant burden to work under. Two pictures of two bosses. And now how should Christians underneath these two different um, realities, how should they do their work? And the answer that our text provides us with is that the quality and heart behind the performance of both men should be identical. Both should work hard and do a good job and not merely be people pleasers, but do their best even when nobody's watching. Both men are to serve with the same kind of heart because neither of them are serving those men ultimately anyways. Ultimately, they're serving God with their labor. The lordship of Jesus is not a burden for this life. It frees you in this life. The Lordship of Jesus frees you right now to serve Jesus instead of your wicked boss. The Lordship of Jesus right now in your life frees you to serve him instead of your virtuous boss. You can work hard for whoever she is or he is and not slander them or judge them in your heart or complain about the authority in your life at the dinner table because they're not really who you're serving anyway. The aim of your life and the aim of your marriage and the aim of your parenting is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. The aim of your suffering, the aim of your diligence, the aim of your humility is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. The aim of your leadership the aim of your management, the aim of your company, the aim of your life is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So bosses in the room, let that sober you. Employees in the room, let that sober you. The freedom to love and serve others comes from your single-hearted devotion to Jesus. No one can change that, and nobody can take that away from you. It doesn't matter if you get a promotion or you get wrongfully accused and you're, you're fired. If you're serving the Lord Christ, you can't lose. Human beings weren't built to bear the weight of being the aim of all of our hopes and dreams. When, you're, when you worship other people, 
You put a weight on them that they were not created to bear and you damage your own soul. You can't orient your life around pleasing people. You can't orient your life around the fear of man. Eventually, it'll lead to destruction. Eventually, the wheels will fall off. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we get this picture of the judgment seat of Christ where everything that we've done is going to be weighed. And Jesus isn't going to commend us for our complaining or our murmuring. He isn't going to commend us for stomaching it because he offers us something better. Better. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. As I move to close, I want to say people-pleasing Eye service is hypocrisy. It's a way to boast about outward appearances so that we can avoid or wiggle out from what's really going on in our hearts. But fearing God, we know that he doesn't look at things the way that we look at them. We look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So we we repent and aim to serve him and him alone. We aim to please him and him alone and live in reverence and fear of the living God. And that makes us sincere people, people with integrity, able to love people rightly and obey God from our hearts. John, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then later in, in chapter 15, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So like, l- loving one another and obedience to Jesus are all tangled up together. They are, they are fast friends Obedience to the scriptures with our hearts involved is how we know how to love other people. Concepts like justice and fairness and sincerity, concepts like reverence for Christ and the fear of God, your vertical relationship with God, your vertical relationship with God has all of these horizontal consequences that impact every single one of those concepts. See, Christ, Christ truly is Lord over all. As we move, as we move in the next couple of weeks to bring a conclusion to our time in Colossians, I want to see, I want us to see that the Lordship of Christ has to be pressed into every corner of our lives, every relationship of our lives, every situation in our lives, every single aspect of our lives. He's good 
we truly can submit to him in faith completely. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would magnify Christ in this church. I ask that you would magnify Christ in our hearts. I ask that you would help us repent and change and see him sitting on the throne of our lives with our hearts in a, in a willing posture, in an obedient posture. Would you change our affections to enjoy his lordship in our lives in places that it's hard or that we bristle or that we have stiff necks? Would you help us bend towards what he wants to do in our lives instead of being resistant? Would you wake us up to places that we need to be convicted of sin? Would you wake us up that we need to be, we, we need to be um, convicted of places that we just need to cut out certain things in our lives that are weighing us down? Would you increase our faith? Would you intensify our hope? Would you intensify our affection for one another and intensify our affection most of all for you? Would we look to you, Jesus, as the Lord of our entire lives? Would you take up more space in our hearts? Would you take up more ground in our hearts and reign, reign, I ask this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.